to Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio. We are your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Julie, welcome to today's radio show. Thank you. It's going to be a fun show and something that affects each and every one of them. We always like to bring them something that they can apply immediately, so I'm looking forward to it. So Julie and I have been rightfully accused of being motivational. In other words, folks have said, hey, you know what? You guys make me feel motivated. You guys help me keep my head screwed on straight. Um, And, you know, I appreciate that. That's a really nice compliment. Probably as a coach doing what we do, that's probably one of the best compliments you can give us. A lot of coaches are where, you know, Julie and I coach the coaches, and we do have a handful of personal clients, and a lot of the coaches are saying that many of you are students, and I'd say non-students listening as well, because we have 100,000 regular listeners, and as such, we're going to have a fair number of folks that aren't students yet. We're expecting you to enroll any day now, but that aside, a lot of you guys are struggling with the same exact thing, and it's thinking big. Um, And it's an interesting problem to happen, because it normally happens when you're being really successful, when you're doing really well. Uh, And when I mean it, the it is a plateau. The it is something where you just don't necessarily feel as motivated as you used to. And there are a lot of reasons why, and there's a lot of ways to identify if it's manifesting itself in you, not thinking big. And we're going to also, we're going to walk you through all that. We're going to start out with a three-question quiz so you can kind of take the are you thinking big or are you being complacent uh, test? So that'll be simple. All of you guys can do that even if you're listening to us on the run, literally. Um, and then we're going to walk you through a five-step process, hopefully today on today's radio show, so that you can shock yourself out of complacency, so you can start thinking bigger. Guys, be clear. This is a problem that all of us experience. And like I said, it happens really to – I mean, it happens primarily in people who are in action and they just basically have accomplished their goals or they're about to accomplish their goals, and then they start essentially, they don't reset their goals or they just stop thinking big, or they get to a point in their lives where basically, for the most part, they're comfortable. Comfortable is sort of another way of saying complacent for the most part, and that will then cause them to no longer think big. Maybe they never really learned to think big. Maybe you were uh, admonished for thinking big at some point in your life. That's certainly true with most of us. We're told to, you know, keep your dreams and your expectations realistic. You know, that's, you know, be safe. Make, you know, those types of sort of like stay in the box kind of thinking that a lot of us are infected with, you know, by oftentimes people that are family members and teachers and whatnot. They don't realize that they're kind of hurting our spirits by telling us not to think big. But, you know, it's interesting as I say that. I was thinking also of the fact that a lot of people are attracted to real estate because they reject the idea of something or someone limiting what they can accomplish in life. That's the reason that, you know, all of us in real estate are kind of weirdos. If you guys, you know, if you don't realize that, you're a bit of a social outcast because normal people in a billion years would never do what you do. By normal, I mean, you know, like 99.9% of the population, you, for the most part, are working 100% for commission, uh, for commission dollars. You have no job security. You have to kind of create everything on your own. You have to create your business. You have to learn how to sell. This is not for wimps, for sure. Becoming um, a, a real estate agent is easy. Just get your license. Staying in this business it's complicated, but becoming really successful at it to the point where you are able to build wealth, that's something altogether different. And that does take 
a special person, and all of us can, uh, and this is what we do on this radio show, is we pull out the characteristics of those special people. Julie and I certainly know what they are from having coached a billion of them, and then we share them with you. And one of the main characteristics of someone who is continually on the ascension in their business, they're always getting better, they're always improving, is they know at this point, almost intuitively, to always be thinking big. And so, again, what we're going to be sharing with you are the specific techniques that we've coached agents to use over the years, and we're going to start out by offering you guys a simple quiz. So, Julie, any thoughts on this before we get into our content? Well, so the content, again, is five easy steps to thinking big, and we always like to start everything with a little mindset check. So, what is the biggest enemy of thinking big? Well, it's probably your own past experience and your success. So remember when you were a kid and there was nothing you couldn't do. You'd pretty much try anything without even thinking about it. So ask yourself, what happened to that mindset? What happened to that kid, right? So somewhere along the lines, fear, caution, perfection, both good and bad experiences have made it so that the once big thinking kid in you has been sent to his room on permanent time out for some of you. So the thing is, it's normal for most people to be lulled into complacency. It's very prevalent. An argument can be made that societally we're actually conditioned to become complacent. So as Tim said, we've got a three-question complacency test. You might want to write these things down and think, and think about them and have an honest answer here. So number one, complacency test, how's your weight? That's right. We're talking about your actual weight. How many pounds are you? The fact is, most people gain at least, and this is just an average. It certainly can be worse than this, but on average, most people gain an extra pound per year. Well, depending on how old you are, that may have caught up to you. So a complacency test is how's your weight. Julie, let me interject something here. Yeah, I mean, why? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so I mentioned, you know, this is kind of a true story. I mentioned uh, on the radio Julie and I bring up weight uh, probably too often. And the reason we bring it up is because how you, uh, your body is a direct reflection of, of what's going on inside your head, of what's going on inside your heart, of how you see yourself and how you see the world. And, you know, we could, we're not, again, we're not nutritionalists, but I'm going to give you guys a little suggestion. A lot of you are listening to us right now, been tuning into us on a regular basis, are finally accepting the fact you know, as you're going through this complacency quiz, right? You're going to come out at the other end of it, and you're going to say, yes, I am complacent, and yes, you're right, I am, you know, 10, 15, 20 pounds overweight. So I'll give you the suggestion that we give to all of our coaching students. You guys need to go to Amazon and get the book, Adkins for Life, okay? Adkins for Life. Go to the original research that was done on having a low-carb diet and do it. I've suggested that to hundreds of people, um, and all of them, I've had actual people, it, it's almost like making me think, Julie, and I need to go into the nutritional side of coaching. <laughs> That's not our wheelhouse. But so many people have thanked me for that. Um, there's been a lot. So there was originally, just to you know, draw a line into this, there was a lot of research that was done on the low-carb diet after uh, the Atkins book came out. Because if you guys remember correctly, the tradition or the, the established you know, nutritionalists, they all said, oh, the low-carb thing, it's this, it's that. They were trying to basically poo-poo on it because it was new. In other words, they didn't want things to change. They wanted everything to stay the same. And so what happened was is that there was all kinds of independent studies done all over the country and all over the world about a low-carb diet. And guess where all the conclusions were virtually the same as the Atkins diet. So in essence, if you eliminate, or you can't really eliminate really, but if you, uh, all carbs from your diet, but if you reduce dramatically the amount of carbs in your diet, read the book, I promise you, 
with probably virtually no other change in your behavior. In other words, you don't just all of a sudden have to become a triathlete. You will shed pounds. And, you know, the irony of it is is the more overweight you are, uh, the quicker you'll lose weight on Adkins than if you only have to lose like five or ten pounds, <laughs> you know. So that's a fact. Julie and I went on Adkins uh, a long time ago. We ran into this ourselves when we were selling real estate. We weren't taking care of ourselves physically, you know, as much as we should have, and that's what we used to, you know, to think I lost 30 pounds and Julie lost like 20 pounds, and you see Julie now, you can't possibly imagine that she was 20 pounds heavier, but I mean, there it is. So guys, uh, as a quick side note, wasn't necessarily in our notes what we're going to share with you today, but I know some of you need this information, so I'm just trying to help you. Definitely go to Amazon, definitely get the book, audio or otherwise, Adkins for Life. So Julie, let's get back to our notes. That's right. So that, that's one test for you, the weight question. Okay. Now, number two, how are your finances? Okay. So yes, this might be an uncomfortable call potentially for some of you as we go down this list, but that's okay. Got to get in front of the things that make you uncomfortable. So how are your finances? Are you actually, honest to goodness, saving, paying off debt, investing? Does your business actually generate a minimum of 35% net profit to you? Do you even know the answer to that question. What is your net profit? Now, this time of year, you probably know it a little bit closer than the rest of the year, being that we're getting uh, through the whole tax thing. So, are, But are you saving? Are you investing? Are you doing that on purpose? Or are you just saving if you possibly happen to pop a big deal this month and don't need all of the money, which is unfortunately the ordinary agent way of doing things? So how are your finances? That's a complacency question. Are you actually doing these things on purpose? And question number three related to number one and two, but specific question number three, how often are you being uncomfortable? How often are you making yourself uncomfortable? And that can apply to many different parts of your life. It could mean how uncomfortable are you with your workout daily? Are you actually working out? Are you doing what's easy or are you doing what's effective? I had a great coaching call this week, Tim, with somebody who was not being uncomfortable enough closing, right? So she's working specifically on hearing no more often, because the more no's you hear, the closer you are to a yes, right? So uh, how often are you uncomfortable, right? So here's a question, and I was reading this from some of our previous notes when we presented this before. Are you driving, say, a beige Camry because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because it was on the showroom floor and had a super easy low lease payment? So how uncomfortable and how often are you making yourself uncomfortable? How comfortable are you being uncomfortable, if that makes sense? So, Tim, those are three specific questions. And here's the reason we're starting the call with this. It's actually impossible to think big when you're complacent. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it is. It's impossible to think big when you're, being, when you're complacent. When you're stuck, um, and we're going to drill down on this here in a second, so stay tuned. And you'll understand more what we're talking about um, in the next section especially. But if you are complacent, if you are uh, essentially surrounded by mediocrity of your own creation, you know, your weight, your, your everything, okay? And like I said, we're going to drill down here in a second. It's impossible for you to think big. You're going to say, Tim, I, you know, I, my life is exactly like it's been day after day after day after day, year after year. You know, you guys get the idea. It's Groundhog Day. And I need to think big. I hear these stories. I hear you guys on the radio. I've had coaching calls with your coaches. I realize that I'm complacent. I realize that I'm not thinking big. How do I break out of it? Well, we're giving you the exact how-tos right now. It does start with these little micro steps. It does take you confronting where you're deciding that you are comfortable. You know, 
We're, again, I don't want to jump ahead with any of our notes, but pay very close attention, especially to these next two sections. Jules? All right, exactly. So rule, the more complacent you are, harder it is to think big. So, you know, perfectionism, procrastination, ego-based fear, these things are all related to killing your big thinking. So execute on these ideas even when they're not completely ready. Now, there's a consultant and author named Alan Weiss who believes a person should move when they're 80% ready, not 100%, but when they're 80% ready because chances are only you will know that last 20% is missing. Yet it's the last 20% that keeps nearly all of us from moving forward on a good idea. Why don't we think 80% is enough? Well, Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, says, now this is a great quote, Tim, you and I use this all the time, perfect is the enemy of done. Or sometimes we say done is better than perfect. So these are all things that can get in the way. So, Tim, let's start with the thought of over-analysis. So how does that come into play on the whole complacency issue and lack of thinking big? Well, so if basically every time you go down the road of thinking big, or at least uh, allowing your mind to have unusual thoughts that might make you uncomfortable, and let's say, for example, maybe you're thinking about – I'll just throw one out there because had, I've had a number of clients. You guys, maybe you don't, but you'll know in a second. Julie and I have – moved to different parts of the country. We started out in Ohio. We've you know, spent time on the coast. We've spent time just here and there. We live in Texas now. Um, we're gonna, we have homes in different parts of the country. This is, you know, we do this intentionally to keep ourselves out of complacency. And why did we move and why do we move um, you know, like from Ohio out west? Well, it's because we realized that we were complacent in Ohio. We realized that it was easy for us. We realized that essentially we climbed to the top of the ladder, the ladder that there was for us to climb. We've achieved, we achieved and accomplished our goals, and we weren't done yet. We wanted to have um, a better life. We wanted to experience more things. Oh, and by the way, we wanted to get out of the snow. So, I mean, all these types of things, guys, when you start thinking about, I want to move, say, for example, from Michigan to Arizona. Let's just say you're sick of the winters. You want to move someplace where it's beautiful 12 months of the year except maybe in the summer where it's super hot. <laughs> but you want to basically have it completely mix things up. Then what happens, as soon as you have that thought, you start going down this analytical road. You start overanalyzing. You start thinking about all the what-ifs. You start becoming your own skeptic. And the next thing you know, you basically just drop the thought. Here's how Julie and I originally moved out of Ohio. Here's what we did. We chose, we went, uh, did some, uh, you spent about an hour on Google. We researched places in the country where the average daily temperature was 70 degrees, where essentially, obviously, there was no winter and where the economy was healthy. And then when you, then we put in other criteria. We didn't want to live in a place where there was a lot of humidity. We didn't want to this, that, and the other. So we made our rules, and then we looked at an app, and then we basically just picked a place. I'm not kidding. That's how we did it. We did not do a lot of research. We did not do a lot of homework. And then the next thing we did is we picked a particular date. And Julie, do you remember what that date was? November or something? Wasn't November 5th, 2005. There you go. So we picked not November 5th, yeah, not that you remember anything, right? Now, it was easier for me than it was for Julie. It's probably the reason she remembers the date and I don't. But that's what we did. We picked where we were going to move. Um, we initially leased a place. We didn't put pressure on ourselves to buy something. And then we just did it. We just made the move. Our house we leased. Our stuff went into storage. Some of it went to consignment. But we picked a date. We picked a goal. And then we just implemented it. And were we 100% ready to move when we moved? Of course not. Were there all, could we have done things a little bit better, maybe spent a little bit more time, you know, whatever? Of course, but who cares? We accomplished the goal, and here we are now. 
That's how you go about getting things done. The analyzation of things is essentially just procrastination. And really what it is, in essence, is it's just fear. It's ego-based fear. We did a great radio show on that. At least it was great based on the feedback we had from all of you a while ago on real fear versus ego-based fear or psychological fear. So you might want to go back and listen to that. But that's how you defeat it. You pick a date, you pick a goal, and then you just implement it. Hell or high water, you accomplish it. That's how you get anything done in life, guys, through action. Julie, what's the next point? Well, so, again, we're talking about things that get in your way over analysis. What if it doesn't work? What if it does? What if the worst happens? What if I lose the business? All these what ifs. So the other one, and you were just touching on this, is procrastination. We have things we know we need to do that we've put off, often for weeks or months and sometimes for years. And there's so many places that we see this on coaching calls uh, between yours and mine and all the coaches coming to us with some of these questions. So procrastination, how many of you guys have, let's just say, to pick on something obvious, top producer? Do you actually use that? Do you know how to use it? What's going on with that? You know that you should be putting your past clients in there and talking to them more often and having it all organized, but you procrastinated. So that's just the low-hanging fruit. We also can talk about many other things, but procrastination is the enemy of thinking big. The stifling of creativity is another one, Tim. You know, if you're afraid of possible outcomes, how can you ever allow yourself the time and environment to be creative? And, you know, the thing that pops into my mind on this, Tim, and it's kind of an odd thing to uh, put this on, but creativity, even in your scripts, right? We don't insist that you're exact on your scripts. We want you to memorize, internalize, and then personalize them. Be creative with what works for you. But if you're not willing to do that because you're feeling complacent, well, do you think you're going to be able to think big, earn more money, move yourself forward? So the stifling of creativity can be definitely a barricade to thinking bigger. And then, of course, we have the good old-fashioned draining of energy. So much bandwidth is given to analyzing and defending against potential negative ramifications that there's little energy left to actually get things done. Some of you guys are walking around with this constant negative affirmation, I'm exhausted. Some kind of draining of energy is happening in your head. The more you say that to yourself, the less likely you are to be thinking big and moving yourself forward. So we've identified four specific things, Tim, that get in their way of moving uh, forward and thinking big. That's been over-analysis, procrastination, stifling of creativity, and the draining of energy. So now that we know what causes complacency and lack of thinking big, well, how are they supposed to do something about this? Let's talk about how to actually think big. Let's add, uh, you know what, these guys deserve a bonus point, don't you think? Sure, always. Okay, I'll give you another one, guys. And I wrote these notes, I should have put this one on there too. Another point would be lack of exposure. And that's probably the biggest one that causes causes you not to think big. Um, lack mm-hmm. of exposure. You might want to edit our notes, Julie. Yep. <laughs> you got that? Okay, so lack of exposure to other people that think big. Lack of, lack of exposure to how other people live. Lack of exposure to other, you know, literally other places in the country that there are to live. Lack of exposure to the amount of money you could make. You know, here's a funny fact for you. If you're selling real estate in the Midwest and you're used to selling 50 to 75 houses a year, did you know that the process to list and sell homes is the same in a marketplace where the average sale price is a million and a half? <laughs> Did you know that you can move to those markets and if you chose to, still sell 75 houses a year and make a hell of a lot more money? Hey, we coach people to do that all the time. That's called normal. The skills that you learn with us guys are portable. They're transferable to any market in the country. 
You don't have to just stay where you are. You don't have to continue to have the experiences you're having. I'm focusing a lot on Relo because I'm getting a lot of uh, folks lately that are asking about changing markets and all that. And it is possible, of course, guys, when you learn how to list homes, when you learn how to uh, deliver a really effective listing presentation, when you learn how to overcome objections, those are the same exact objections and usually literally the same exact words that people use all over the country. They say the same thing in the same order. When you learn to sell real estate really good in any market, you will be really good in every market. So just keep those things in mind. Don't allow yourself just to think that the top of the food chain in your world is the top of the food chain in every world, because I promise you it's not. So maybe one of the things you could do, and this is homework I've given to personal clients over the years who are struggling with this, is you literally go and identify experiences that are just so outside of the norm for you, that are so just basically rock your world, um, and then you go and you schedule one of them per quarter, and it gives you something to look forward to. And sometimes it's travel, sometimes it's just an experience in your local market. It doesn't matter. You know, if you're in Orange County, California, and you think you're absolutely positively, you know, essentially at the top of the world, because that's, you know, that sort of the viewpoint is very common, especially amongst very well-to-do areas. Well, guess what? It's not. You should maybe consider going over to Monaco and see how people in Monaco live. That'll kind of rock your world. You know, start thinking way outside of the box and exposing yourself to as many big thinkers as you possibly can. And then you'll start picking up the energy from those big thinkers, and you can start emulating what they have done to get there in the first place. That's right. And, you know, you can use this even on a more micro level. Many coaching clients I've talked to get freaked out at a certain price range, and they won't prospect or call somebody back that's in a higher-end price range just because they suffer lack of exposure, as you're talking about. So what's the cure to that? Go spend an afternoon previewing the next neighborhood up, usually agents seem to hit a wall anything more expensive than what they're personally living in. That's what I've found. And so yep. go preview like crazy. Where did those people hang out? What do they like to collect? What do the houses look like? Who are the builders? What's the history of the neighborhood? Become familiar and put to rest this massive lack of exposure that many of you guys suffer from. And that can be on a micro level, and it can be on a really big picture level. Like you said, go visit Monaco. If you've never been to Paris before, Set up your next trip. Do a little bit of good old-fashioned goal setting here. So it's all related to thinking big. But do, so, do yourself a favor. Before you go to Paris, ask Julie and I when we're going. Mm-hmm. And don't go when we're going because every time we go, it's raining uh, basically like buckets. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> so, so email Julie and I say, and there say, hey, know. listen, I'm thinking about going to Paris in That's July, right. just making sure you guys won't be there. And then it's probably a safe time for you to go. Better we have to yet to walk around us. Yeah, yeah, we have yet we have yet to schedule uh, any time in Paris where we weren't absolutely getting drenched. It's almost become a joke. <laughs> exactly. So we're almost running out of time, Tim. Do you want to do how to think big starting tomorrow, or do you want to jump in now? You know, I'm curious, Julie, from your own personal mm-hmm. uh, coaching experience. Why mm-hmm. do you think? And this doesn't happen very often, fortunately, in a coaching relationship, because the fact that most people are coming to a coaching relationship know that they probably need to learn how to think big. So there's that. Right. But why do you think? Why do you think people uh, sometimes reject this type of thinking? I think that they take generally. I mean, people in life, people on planet Earth, generally take the easier route. If it's easier to just stay in your own little price range in your own little neighborhood and you're doing okay there, especially if you don't have any particular stress forcing you to make a change, 
people generally take the easier path. You know, it does take more effort to get out of your comfort zone. It does take more effort to think big. And ultimately, when you are thinking big, well, there's some built-in accountability with that, right? So if you schedule yourself a trip to Paris, well, you've already prepaid that airfare. You're going to have to go, which means now you're going to have to do something to pay for your trip to Paris, to organize yourself, to make sure you're, if you have a team or an assistant that they're working at capacity, that you've got the listing inventory to sustain yourself so you're not freaking out and feeling broke in Paris because that would stink, right? So it's the taking the risk in the first place to think big, and then there's the accountability that follows, and that gets back to some of these things that get in the way of thinking big, right? The what if thing. Okay, well, what, so what if I'm I hearing, actually did that? <laughs> so ahead. what I heard, you said two great things. You said, first of all, uh, the fear, right? So it goes back to fear of failure. So if I set this goal for myself and I decide I'm going to do this and I don't do it, then I failed. So it's a fear of failure, which I hear you're saying mm-hmm. keeping a lot of people in their buckets. And the other yep. thing that I heard you say, and it's definitely true, is the perception of the fact that people think it's easier to be in complacency. And I would, uh, and that is the common belief, right? So it's easier just to essentially have a clock-punching life. It's easier just to have the predictability of things. And in a way that it is, in that you are doing less, but you're also experiencing less. You're also living a diminished life. You're also not having the experiences that you could experience if you just made another maybe 10% more effort. And that's the interesting thing about this whole conversation. We're going to get to the five steps tomorrow. It, and this is what really fascinates me. If you were to look at a time when you have been like you just went from, say, like average to good, let alone average to great, the difference between just getting average results and the difference between getting great results it never requires 100% more effort. It usually requires right around 13 to 15% more effort. And that is quantifiable. More time, more contacts, more appointments, more uh, focused effort on learning, more focused effort on uh, practicing, but not 100%, 300% or 400% or 500%. You don't just basically have to totally and completely you know, come, become a different person. You just have to become the same person putting in, let's just call it around 12 to, 12 to 15% more effort. That's it. It's not that difficult. And I'll suggest to you, from a psychological perspective, that being complacent is actually harder in all reality than the person yeah. who takes action. Well, Julie, why? Why is the being complacent ultimately a massive burden for someone to carry that far outweighs the burden that they have to carry if they decide to essentially live their life to the fullest? Why is it that that's the way it actually works? I just think it's so works? laden with excuses and with you know, reasons why. It's like constant rationalization why they're not doing right. these things. It's exhausting to live that way, right? I mean, I, it's fun to watch coaching clients go from couple of calls of why it's not working, excuses, blah, 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 then we have calls about, you know, how to get in front of that, and then transition to taking action and talking about the results they're getting by changing that mindset, by thinking bigger, and by willing to put themselves, by being willing to put themselves out there, take the risk of maybe hearing no, boy, that's a lot more exciting coaching call for both them and for us as their coaches, right? It's just exhausting not to be motivated to think big. I well, mean, when I, you're not, that's when why they're in real estate not, in the first place, right? Go ahead. When you're not taking action on the goals that you've set for yourself, that you're carrying around right now, you know who you are, who are out there. Every mm-hmm. single one of you at some level are now saying, okay, yeah, Tim and Julie are right. I'm driving the tan Toyota. Tim and Julie are right. 
I'm wearing the same clothes I wore 10 years ago. Tim and Julia are right. I'm carrying around 20 pounds of weight that I shouldn't be carrying around, or I'm not building the savings I should be building. You know, Tim and Julia are, are probably right that, you know, my normal vacation is going to the lake that's 50 miles away. It's the same place I've been going for the last five or six summers. And I've always really wanted to go to England and research my family's heritage, or I've always really wanted to go uh, down to Ecuador or whatever. But I'm just okay going to the lake. Okay, so the burden of carrying, the psychological burden of carrying, the knowing that you're being complacent, I promise you guys, is far greater than any effort that you're going to have to put forth to accomplishing the goals. Looking at yourself in the mirror, this, uh, we always use the weight thing because it really is a punch between the eyes and makes a point efficiently. Looking at yourself in the mirror, knowing that you could uh, look a lot better and feel a lot better and make your body a lot healthier, doing that every day, having that uh, knowing on your, on your conscious uh, is a lot more work than if you'd actually just gone on a walk, if you actually just decide to follow a low-carb diet. When you're sitting at the lake and you're drinking your beer and you're trying to basically relax, knowing all the while that what you really wanted was to go to, I don't know, pick your exotic port of call. You wanted to go to Germany and drive to Nuremberg, right, on your new Porsche or whatever. Okay, there's one of my goals, by the way, for you all. So anyway, if the burden of sitting there, uh, knowing that you basically compromised, uh, knowing that you could have, with maybe 10 or 15% more effort, had experienced these bigger, bolder things in your life, that is what wears all of us out. That's what makes it so that we're dissatisfied with life. That's what makes it so we are ultimately not as happy and not as content and not living these, the richful lives that we all, I'm not going to say deserve, but all have the capacity to experience. You don't deserve it until you've actually made the effort. You don't deserve it just because you were born. You have to be willing to take the action. Hopefully this is motivating you guys. Hopefully you're understanding that our intent is to truly help you. Life is a gift. The life you're living right now, however you want to classify it, good, great, mediocre, terrible, it's still a gift. Anytime you wake up and you're looking at the green side of the uh, grass, you are living a gifted life. It is now up to you to live the mo- take essentially the biggest advantage of this life as you can. Enjoy it as much as you can. And remember, everything comes from the mindset that you're here to be of service to a lot of folks. If you're not experiencing the things in life that you want to experience, if you're driving that beat-up tan Camry and you want to drive that new Mercedes-Benz, don't be jealous of the person that drives by you with the new Benz. Don't experience that. Don't be, you know, what the kids call haters. Don't fall into that mindset. Accept the fact that the reason that you're not yet experiencing the things in life that you want to experience at the level in which you want to experience them, it's just because you have yet to learn how to be of service to enough people or find enough ways to help enough other people. There's a direct correlation to the number of people that you help at a high level in the amount of money you have. No, there's no question about it. That's it. If you guys are looking for the secret formula for financial success, I just told it to you. Figure out how to help more people at a high level accomplish their goals, and the more people you help to accomplish their goals at the highest level, the more of your goals you'll find almost mystically and magically happening as well. That is the formula. If you're living a small life, just trying to you know, basically eke out one or two transactions a month, and you're basically just focusing on just covering your overhead, and you're just focusing on your immediate needs, and you're jealous of the person that you know, that you know from Facebook or whatever, that's spending two weeks in Italy this year, and you think somehow that they somehow gamed the system and, you know, they have some advantage you don't, that's a bunch of BS and you know it. 
And that goes back to that psychological burden of knowing you could have and not having done. That's what you guys have to accept is your responsibility to make, take the actions necessary to live the fullest possible life you can. So we're going to pick this up uh, where we left off today, tomorrow. And tomorrow we're going to be talking about the five specific things that you can do to think big. And it'll be fun. It's about goal setting. There's a little foreshadowing for you. It's about doing things that make you uncomfortable consistently, but it's about living your life to the fullest. If there's anything we can do for you guys, always remember, reach out to us, free coaching calls for agents.com, free coaching calls for agents.com. And as always, we want to seriously and, and thoroughly thank our two major sponsors. It is uh, mojocells.com and 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE.COM. Have a fantastic day, and we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.